back home and uh, just been on the road. The Lord has opened up so many doors for us. We had actually was, had an extremely busy schedule, uh, several revivals, prophecy conferences, and so forth. And then all this took place, and it was just the timing of it was amazing. And uh, then I'm having additional calls from pastors. I've got a list that I've still got to contact. That's one, it's just overwhelming. It's literally overwhelming. But I took Thanksgiving off so we could come home, and it's good to see some of our family. I hadn't seen some of, I hadn't saw Daniel since we went to Israel, so it's, been, uh, it's, it's just nice to get to see some family. So I literally landed from Israel, was home a day and a half, and then had to drive from Pennsylvania to Mississippi and start a meeting there. And so it's just been constantly on the road, and, but God has been so good to us, and I thank Him for it. Thank Him for the privilege I have to be able to serve Him, and it's a joy to be able to do that. And so thank you, church, for praying for us. And, uh, you know, we were over there when October 7th took place, and uh, we were not far. Uh, my wife and I, Sister Cindy and Sister Gabby was there as well. And we were probably, an, as a crow flies, not far at all from Gaza, I would say an hour uh, as a crow flies. And uh, we could hear shelling going off. We could hear some explosions taking place. Honestly, I, I thought that this was just some military drills out in the Negev in the desert, which is very, very common. So, didn't even think nothing about it till we started getting texts from our landlord. Are y'all okay? We're like, what do you? Of course we're okay. You know, it's, it was strange. And then we finally talked to them on the phone, and they started telling us everything was happening where we were at. Nobody knew nothing about it. I mean, even the employees in the areas didn't know anything. It just caught the country literally off guard. Knowing, of course, we live about two hours north, two and a half hours north from where we were at. I knew we had to drive through the West Bank, through a Palestinian area to get back home. And so we immediately left and just really hit the road as fast as we could. And we were literally watching the IDF close down the West Bank as we were driving through. And uh, once we got through the checkpoint, I knew we were good and uh, got up to our house. Now, we live right on the Lebanon border. So we're literally three miles roughly from Lebanon. From our town, you can actually look into Lebanon and see a Hezbollah-controlled town. All of southern Lebanon has been taken over by Hezbollah, and they control that whole southern tip of, Le- of, of Lebanon. And so we, we, it was such an eerie quiet in the beginning. It was so strange. Again, the country was such, in such a shock of what was happening. Nobody knew how to take it. Nobody knew what was going on. Uh, just so many different reports were coming out. And we watched them from the north start moving tanks and military equipment down to the south. And then the next day, we're watching them come back up to the north. And we see them start filling up the area up in the north with tanks. One, one uh, uh, field we passed by had about 30 tanks sitting in it. Uh, we're watching them pulling up at our town with about 15 tanks sitting at the top of the hill facing into Lebanon. Now, understand, our town's about 3,000 people, so... You know, this was an enormous, you know, watching this. And it just was just a strange, eerie feeling. Every day was like a Sabbath day. Stores were not open. Everything was closed down. Again, the country was in shock. But, you know, it was probably day two afterwards. I remember us driving up on top of the hill, passing by those tanks. And at this point, we're watching them with Israeli flags sitting on top of those tanks and those soldiers standing out there. We drove by those 30 tanks, and man, you'd see those Israeli flags and those soldiers standing out there on those tanks. We started watching those tanks drive down four-lane highways. I'm talking about tanks running. I mean, not talking about you dragging them. They were driving down the highways. 
I mean, ripping up guardrails. We watched them tear guardrails up. It looks like a can opener. When it comes. They're going to spend the next seven years replacing guardrails in Israel from these tanks. But, I mean, we're watching them drive on top of those tanks, driving down highways, flying those Israeli flags, people blowing the horn. We see a country unifying, coming together. And, you know, one of the terrible things in the midst of this atrocity, you know, seeing all the loss of life, but understand the country had been in such turmoil for over a year. I mean, protests were taking place with the people and with the governments and the fighting taking place. We have watched literally over the past years 100,000 people stand out protesting the governments, watching them shut down roads for protesting against the government. And it's just been unbelievable. That country was so divided. But in the midst of this crisis, the one thing that it did was unify that country. And you know, a lesson to be learned when a country is divided, it sets itself up for the enemy. The same truth when it comes to a church. A, co- a church that's divided is simply opening the doors for the enemy to come in. Same truth with your home. And so guard it. You know, the Bible says a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Just a little bit of chametz in Hebrew, the leaven. Yeast is what that is. All it takes is a little bit to leaven. And that's what God warns us about. So watch those things. But anyway, it began to creep in. We saw it, but we saw that unification being able to, starting to take place. When we left, they were firing those tanks out of our town into Lebanon, literally watching that take place. We were watching rockets shoot up in the air uh, over close to the house as they were shooting into Syria, uh, attacking some of the airports and so forth. We're literally watching, watching drones. We had videos of drones flying right over our town, and they were knocking them down with Patriot rockets. So there was a lot of stuff that was happening. But now we felt, honestly, we felt safe up there. I mean, it, it wasn't as bad as what was taking place in the south. But I will say what's happening up in the north now is not that. It is a whole lot worse. And that's where a lot of rockets, we talked to our landlords today, they're in our house in our bomb shelter. And that's where they're staying. And so they're having to stay inside there. They were in there several uh, hours this morning because of the continual attack coming over from Lebanon into the area. And so it's that whole northern border of Lebanon that attaches Israel to Lebanon and Syria have been evacuated. They've evacuated over from not just that area, but also down towards Gaza. They've evacuated over 200,000 people. And you're going to understand that. Can you imagine being evacuated from your home and you work in that area? You got no home. You got no, no job. You can't work. You imagine the intense pressure that is taking place, and it is enormous. And so a lot of families are hurting. We've got friends that have lived in schools. Uh, they've makeshift cabinets that they've tried to make for their closets for their kids. They're needing toys and all kind of little bitty things that we take for granted. And, you know, I saw one of them had made the statement. They said, you know, we don't know how long we're going to live like this. Will we ever get to go back home? You know, will our home become a buffer zone area? They, there's so many uncertainties of what's, of, of what's going to come. And this is not a war that's going to be over in a week or two. This is something, and they're saying it could last for months. It could even last for over a year. And everything is contingent on the north, the north. You know, not a lot of rockets are coming out of the south anymore. Now, they did shoot a bunch of rockets over from Gaza and bombarded Tel Aviv. Yesterday it was. And so there's still some rockets, but as the IDF are sweeping through the Gaza area, they're uncovering these tunnels. Now, understand these tunnel systems that they have. 
that taxpaying money has been donated and given to support the humanitarian organization called Hamas has been used to build these tunnels. These tunnels that go for 500 kilometers, these tunnels that go over 265 feet in the ground, eight layers of tunnels they are uncovering under the hospital area that where they have been hiding terrorists and funneling in all these terrorist uh, equipment coming in. And that's what people's money are going. When you give money to go to Gaza, that is where it is going. It is not to help the people in Gaza. It supports Hamas. Because Hamas is a humanitarian aid organization, but they got two wings. One is the humanitarian aid. The other is the military faction, which is supposed to protect the Gazans. But yet these people on October 7th used children across the border to protect them as they're breaking through the walls trying to, or the fences to get into Israel. It are these people that have mowed down, even today, their own citizens. And it is the IDF who are guarding them as they're trying to flee down to the southern border to get out. And they're killing their own people. And yet people are, are standing uh, supporting this terrorist organization. And when I say this, understand, this is not a battle against the Jews and Arabs. It is not a battle against Jews and Arabs. Do you realize that over 20% of Israel is made up of Israeli Arabs? And they're claiming that it's an apartheid state. That means that they have no control, they have no rights living in, a, in the country. That's what everybody is saying. Do you realize that Arabs can vote? Do you realize that Arabs can serve in the IDF? I watched a video the other day where some, some Arab soldiers, these are, they're Bedouins, they were literally in the tunnels in Gaza and they're speaking Arabic. These are Muslims. And they're saying that Hamas has went against the Quran for hurting children and hurting women. And here's what they were saying. We're going to get you. We're coming for you. That is Muslims. That are Arab Muslims who live in Israel. So it's not even a battle against Jews and Muslims, neither. Our Arab neighbor, son, is actually in uh, serving in Gaza in the IDF right now. So it's not against Arabs. Let me say this about the Arabs. The Arab people are some of the nicest people I have ever, ever, ever met in my life. It's the Arabs. The Arabs. 20% of Israel is made up. Matter of fact, uh, there is a judge sitting on the Supreme Court of Israel today. And you know what he is? He is a Muslim Arab. They have got rights. They can vote. They can serve, they can do everything like an Israeli Jewish person can do. It's not an apartheid state. It is, that is a lie that is being propagated and propagated. Do not believe the lies that you're hearing. There's a lot of those lies out there today. Now, all those families being displaced, while we were there, you know, we saw, started seeing the need, and, and uh, the Lord began to put on my heart, I felt like, is to, you know, those soldiers are going up, they're going into Lebanon, Syria. we got beautiful waters up there, but you cannot drink straight out of the water sources. You know, it's like here. 
The same thing down in the south around Bethlehem, Gaza. You do not drink the water. So much parasites and bacteria. I was talking to Sister Cindy about the need for the military. If you had some type of purification bottle that you could get water out and drink, you know, how great that would be. So we started inquiring on the midst of it. And IDF soldiers use those camel packs, if you're familiar with those, those backpacks that you wear that you can actually put three liters of water in it. That'll last them a day. And so we started inquiring about different types of filters. And uh, this is a filter that we are purchasing, and we're going to be purchasing more of these and carrying over there to Israel. You can take the bag and dip it down into the water and get any type of water source, connect it to the filter, and that filter will will uh, cleanse 99.9% of any parasites and bacteria through it. It is good for 100,000 gallons, one filter. Now, you can take that filter itself. You don't need the bag. You can take the filter itself and connect it to that backpack. And you can filter the water coming straight out of that pack. And so we just ordered and just got in $10,000 worth of these that we're taking over. The next item we're raising money for is a uh, first aid kit. Here is an example. This is what we ordered. We ordered $10,000 worth of these first aid kits that we're carrying over there as well. Uh, These have got several different items. They will attach to the belt of IDF soldiers. We got these for $90 a piece. Now, a friend of mine over there, uh, pastors of church there in Afula, they went up and purchased this same kit in Israel, when they got them in stock to give out to the IDF, they paid $350 per kit. He said, when they get in, they're gone. That's how fast people are snatching them up. And again, they're trying to donate these things to the military. So those are two of the items that we are focusing on right now to take over. I'm going to be leaving in about two and a half weeks. We're heading back over to Israel. We're taking these items over We're also raising a lot of money to try to give to the families that are hurting that are displaced over there as well. So we're going to try to do uh, not just work among the IDF. When we were there, we went up on the Golan Heights. My wife, Sister Cindy, and I, we went up on the Golan Heights, or not the Golan Heights, but up on the next to our house on the Lebanon border. And we literally came up to soldiers and we bought them. I asked Sister Cindy, I said, being in the military, what do you recommend? What would they like? What can we do? And she's telling me things, oh, give them this type of food. Don't give them chocolate because it melts. And, you know, she's naming all these things we could give them. And so we, we just went to the grocery store and went shopping. We went up on the, on, the, on the border, and we just started giving them out to soldiers, giving them gospel tracts as we're doing that as well. And, man, they were so, so very appreciative. What we're doing on the water filter systems, and we're going to need some help from the church on this. And I've already talked to Pastor about this, but we're printing a two-inch by two-inch label. And we're going to attach these to this uh, filter. And on that, it's going to talk about how Baptists, are, they're donated by Baptists who stand with Israel. We love Israel, and it's got a website on it. And on that website, they can go, and there they can get a New Testament in Hebrew. They can get gospel tracts. And so it is a way that we're going to have the gospel that's going to be made available that they can get to it. So what good is it to do humanitarian aid if we miss the opportunity and getting the most important need, and that is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're going to be doing that as well. So this is going to be kind of a survey trip for us. No doubt there's going to be many more of these to come. And uh, we've worked out a deal. One of the ladies that came to our tent meeting up in Boston this year, 
And I know I told you all before we had over 100 Israelis come out to our Boston tent meeting uh, this past year. But one of the ladies that came was a flight attendant. She came back and stayed in the service, and her and my wife became very good friends. And so we've been in contact with her. She is a, a flight attendant with El Al, the Israeli Airlines. She has connected us with uh, somebody there at El Al, and they are giving us a special rate on on bringing humanitarian supplies over. She said, we just need to know how much. We're going to block off space, and uh, we're able to get a lot of that in for a very, very cheap price. And so everything is contingent on how much we get in. Uh, We actually had a church in Virginia. That's going to be me, my oldest son, and uh, two other men that are going over on this trip. But we had a church in Virginia that has paid for our entire trip, all four of us, uh, to go over there. So they carried our expenses, and I thank the Lord for that. So everything that comes in is going for this need. It is going for the soldiers and these families. So uh, please help us uh, pray about that. But uh, we're, once we get all these labels in, we're going to be bringing about 750 of those filters up here, and we're going to need help putting labels on. And uh, so we will greatly, greatly appreciate that. If you got your Bible this evening, turn it over to the book of Psalms, Psalms chapter number 83. And I made the statement that this war is not a war against Arab and Jew. It's not a war against Muslim and Jew as well. Not even a war against Muslim and, and, uh, and, and Israelis. It is a war against Israel and terrorism. That is what it's about. That is who is fighting in this war. Now understand, let me give you a little background of some of these terrorist organizations that we are, that we are seeing engaged in a lot of this. You know, it started all the way back in about 1928 with a group called the Muslim Brotherhood. They gathered together around Egypt, and they wanted to create a, an, a pan-Islamic movement. They wanted to create nations, governments that are controlled by, by Shiite law, by Shia law. And uh, you see these people standing out here promoting Hamas. They're promoting this stuff. I'm talking about Islamic law that said if you go outside your house in public, ladies, without your head covered, you could be stoned to death. And that is the law. That is what many of these college students are standing out saying, you know, they're they're pro-Hamas. It is crazy. They have lost their mind. They do not realize the extent of what they're going and, and voting for. And so from this Muslim Brotherhood, several different factions broke out from it. One of those is called Fatah. Now, Fatah formed in 1959. One of its major leaders was Yasser Arafat. And Yasser Arafat came in and, and uh, they, they created, because Israel became a nation in 1948, they wanted to create an Islamic movement a, to literally annihilate the Jewish people in Israel. Now, they chose, chose a little bit more of a uh, kind of a... Uh, you know, they kind of look more, well, they did a lot of terrorism. Don't get me wrong. They did a lot of terrorism, but they, they chose a more uh, route that would be more pleading with the other nations to try to get them to uh, make Israel look bad. Now, Israel has went through several different stages throughout its history as becoming a nation. You know, people say all they want is a two-state solution. You know, they've been offered a two-state solution time and time and time again. And do you know what? Every time... They rejected it. Not Israel, but the Palestinian government 
rejected those two-state solutions. Matter of fact, even after the Oslo Accords in 1993, when they signed the Oslo Accords, the first thing that Yasser Arafat did was start the second intifada there in Israel. Listen, he didn't want peace. He didn't want a two-state solution. He wanted to drive Israel from the land. People are saying today that the land of Israel actually is, belongs to the Arabs. They were there first. You heard that yet? You've heard that yet? They were there first. No, no. There is archaeological evidence. There's biblical evidence that shows the Jewish people there 2,500 years before Muhammad ever existed, before Islam ever existed. Before these Arab nations even existed, they were there in the land. They are the indigenous people in the land. And so you say, well, it's called Palestine. Well, that is not the name of a state. Never had there been a state called Palestine. This was an area that a region that is referred to as the Palestinian, Syria-Palestine, actually. And it didn't get that name until 135 A.D. during the Bar Kokhba revolt, when the Jews were fighting and rebelling against the Romans. And the Romans kicked the Jews out of the land, and they changed the name from the land of Israel to Palestinia, Syria. The southern part of the country was called Palestine, whereas the northern part was called Syria. And so it combined the two names. They named it after Palestine because it was one of the ancient enemies of Israel and the Philistines. Now, the Palestinians are not descendants from the Philistines. There were no Philistines, even in Jesus' day. By that point in time, as a people, they were gone. They were not even in existence any longer. It was a mockery of them. And it remained that calling all the way up until 1948. You can go back and you can Google this if you want, but you can look at the flag of what the Palestinian area, what Palestine was in the 1930s. You know what you're going to see? You're going to see a flag with a big old Star of David right in the middle of it. Because a Palestinian is not an Arab. Do you realize that? A Palestinian is not an Arab. A Palestinian was anybody living in the land pre-1948, a Christian, a Jew, or an Arab, were considered a Palestinian. As a matter of fact, the first prime minister of Israel, Golda Meir, do you know what was on her birth certificate? It said, Palestinian. Because that's what the area was called. Matter of fact, you can look at the coins from the 1930s, and you're going to see it says Palestine, and in Hebrews... It says, Haaretz Israel, the land of Israel. That's what it says. And so uh, uh, you, you, you see these, these false advertisements that's being said. But anyway, these, these groups, again, Fatah, uh, Fatah. And then you got another group called the Isl- Palestinian Islamic Jihad. Now, they broke off from the, mother, uh, the Muslim Brotherhood as well uh, back in 1979 and started their own movement. Now, these are a very violent group of people. You'll find them in Gaza. You find them in the West Bank. And understand, when I say West Bank or I say Gaza, it is two separate Palestinian areas controlled by two separate groups. The Gaza Strip is over on the coast. The West Bank is over in the middle of the country along the Jordanian border. And so that's the West Bank area. The West Bank area contains two different groups of people, basically. You've got Jewish settlements and you've got Palestinian settlements in the West Bank. 
you got certain roads you can drive in uh, as Israelis, and you got certain roads you can't drive in. Ain't that right? You remember driving. I took them down some roads we wasn't supposed to drive in. Yeah, it got a little rough. A couple. Of, well, I don't think we even told you that story. We probably better not, neither. But uh, anyway, I, uh, I have a tendency of getting in some of those wrong areas every now and then. But uh, anyway, anyway. And so you got those two separate type of, of areas. And they're controlled by two separate groups. The West Bank is controlled by the Palestinian Authority. That was originally the Palestinian Liberation Organization. It changed its name after the Oslo Accords to the Palestinian Authority. They control the West Bank area. They did control the Gaza area. Israel gave the Gaza Strip over to the Palestinians in 2005. They said, okay, we're going to give it all. They pulled all the residents that were Jews out of there and said, we're giving you this land. This is yours. You can govern it. Do whatever you want. And they did. They held, they held a, a vote, and they voted out the Palestinian Authority, and they voted in Hamas as their government. Eighty percent of the people living in the Gaza Strip are pro or were pro-Hamas. Eighty percent. That means 20 percent were not. Now, understand, there are some good people. I've got friends who are Palestinians. I'm not anti-Palestinian. I've got some very good friends who are Palestinian. Very dear friends. I could call some on the phone right now. Very good friends. Are, matter of fact, I had one who, were, who was living in Israel in 1948 when they became a nation. And you know what he told me? He said, the worst thing that ever happened to us, Palestinians, was when the Palestinian Authority took over. He said, we lost our rights. He said, we had life rough under Israeli law. He said, don't get me wrong. He said, but we had life better under Israeli law than the Palestinian Authority. That was from a Palestinian living in the land in that time. And so don't think that all Palestinians are for Hamas. Not all of them. You realize there's over a thousand Christians in Gaza. And they are killing these Christians. Hamas is. They are brutally killing them as we speak. A thousand Christians. I watched them in the beginning of this year make the statement. These are believers. There are Baptist churches there. And they made the statement, the only hope for the Jew and the Palestinians is the Lord Jesus Christ. And they said their prayer for Israel is that they would come to know the Messiah just as they're praying for their Muslim brothers who are living there in Gaza as well. There's believers there. Not everybody voted for Hamas. Now, how many of you voted for Biden to be your president? Don't raise your hand. We do not want to know. But can you imagine? Same scenario. You may not have voted for him, but he's still your president. There are many of those living there that did not vote for Hamas, but they got stuck with them as well. So there are some innocent people there. But 80% were not. But you know what? I'm seeing, I'm seeing, I'm seeing uh, clips after clip after clip of Hamas that are fleeing northern Gaza. Because Israel, as merciless as they are, they're dropping notes in northern Gaza saying, flee south. Well, that's pretty cruel of them to do, ain't it? Warn them that we're going to be attacking. And they'll do that for days. They just did that in Lebanon. They told the people in Lebanon, you better get out of Lebanon. Flee, flee north, because we're going to wipe out southern Lebanon. 
They've been warning and warning and warning. And do you know what? Only Hezbollah is what controls Lebanon. Only 40% of Lebanon is controlled by Hezbollah. Do you realize there are, there are people in Lebanon, and they do not want to fight Israel. But you know what they do want? They want Israel to wipe out Hezbollah. There have been protests going over in there for the last few years against the Hezbollah organization. They're tired of it. They don't want it neither. And they want Israel. Matter of fact, they are trying to stir up a civil war in Lebanon between two groups of Muslims, the Shiites and the Sunnis. You see, those two groups do not like each other. But you know what they do? They will agree to work with each other for one purpose, and that is the annihilation of Israel and America. Yeah. They'll work together. The Palestinians are normally Sunni, whereas Hezbollah are Shiite, Iran, Shiite. They're more of a, how one Iranian ex-Muslim put it to me, he said the Shiites are more of a, almost like a, kind of the redneck Muslims is what they are, basically, is how he kind of explained it to me and my Georgia understanding, and it made sense. Whereas the Sunnis are very, very strict Islamic. And Shiites are very unknowledgeable many times in, with their own, very radical Muslims is what they are. They're trying to provoke a fight to keep Israel from wiping them out. But a lot of that stuff is taking place up on that northern border. So you got uh, Hezbollah, again, is, is another one of those organizations. Hamas, again, they broke out as well from the Muslim Brotherhood and came in and were voted in. And, uh, and so you've got all these groups. But understand, all these groups are backed by Iran. Iran is the ones that are pushing. Iran is the ones that are kind of pulling the strings in this whole thing. They're trying to stir up all this trouble. So they're just proxies of Iran. You see, Israel's not surrounded by countries that hate her yet. And I say yet, but that hatred is growing. They were surrounded by terrorist organizations that hated her. Shocking news. Last year when I preached in Turkey, and I preached for three weeks to Iranians and Afghanis. And you know what I found out among Iranians and Afghanis? They loved Israel. Now you don't hear that on Fox News. You don't even hear that on any news station, but they said, oh, we love Israel. We'd love to go to Israel. You see, it's not the Iranians who hate Israel. It's the Iranian government. They got their own problems taking place in Iran. Woman last year not wearing her hijab, all the trouble, sparked outrages over their protests. You see, 1979, when they changed their regime, it messed them up. Used to be a good it was, it was one of the best countries in the Middle East at the time until they voted in this terrorist organization, and it ruined them. And that's what they're trying to do around the world. That's why you've got to watch this type of uh, Islam that's being brought in. We're seeing it. So, and I'm watching Muslims who are standing against Muslims who are standing against Israel. So don't think it's all Muslims. So don't come out of this thing with some type of Muslim phobia. Don't do that. Not all Muslims think that way. You know, the first part of the Quran is very peaceful, kind of. It's the latter half that is bad. It is the latter half. And they said towards the end of Muhammad's life, they think, is when he started becoming more and more and more violent. 
And so uh, that's why you're going to see a variance between different groups of Islam, different Islamic people. It's all how you interpret your scripture. There are those who interpret it literally, and that Quran is bad. But there are those who interpret it spiritually, and they don't see the evil in it. There are some Muslims like that. I've met them. I know some. And I'm watching some of them stand against some of the things, the atrocities that are taking place. And so that kind of gives you a little background of what's taking place. And we'll, we'll talk some more about it. But I want you to take your Bible and look in Psalm 83. Psalm 83. If you got your Bible, let's stand, if you would, in reverence to the Word of God. Psalm 83. The Bible says, Keep not thou silence, O God. Hold not thy peace, and be not still, O God. For lo, thine enemies make a tumult. And they that hate thee have lifted up the head. They have taken crafty counsel against thy people and consulted against the hidden, thy hidden ones. They have said, come and let us cut them off from being a nation that the name of Israel may be no more in remembrance. For they have consulted together with one consent. They are confederate against thee, the tabernacles of Edom and the Ishmaelites of Moab and the Hagarines. Gebal and Ammon and Amalek, the Philistines with the inhabitants of Tyre. Asher also is joined with them. They have hoped the children of Lot, Silah. Do unto them as unto the Midianites, as to Sisera, as to Jabin at the brook Kison, which perished at Eindor. They became as dung for the earth. Make their nobles like Orif and like Ziv, like, yea, all their princes as Ziva and Zalmuna. Who said, let us take to ourselves the houses of God in possession. Oh my God, make them like a wheel as the stubble before the wind. As the fire burneth the wood and as the flame setteth the mountains on fire. So persecute them with thy tempest and make them afraid with thy storm. Fill their faces with shame that they may seek thy name, O Lord. Let them be confounded and troubled forever. Yea, let them be put to shame and perish, that men may know that thou, whose name alone is Jehovah, art the most high over all the earth. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We're so grateful for the privilege we have to be able to open our Bibles tonight, to be able to study a word. And I pray that tonight that you would help us to rightly divide the word of truth tonight. Help us tonight to glorify and to magnify you in everything that's said and done. And oh God, tonight we pray as you've told us and commanded us to in Psalm 122.6 to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. And Father, I pray that your hand would be upon that country. I pray that your hand would be upon the countries of the world as we are watching them rise up and stand in opposition of that small little country that you call, that you call the land of Israel. I pray that you would help us as a church to stand behind them, to not only pray, but to take the word of God that they might know you. And Father, we'll give you the praise and the glory for all that you'll do, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You can be seated. Now, this psalm is a psalm that has been coming up over and over again to my attention when all these things started. You know, when all this took place on October 7th, we started hearing people making statements like, is this Gog and Magog? 
Or is this the battle of Psalm 83? We're hearing, I'm hearing those two chapters being referred to over and over and over again. Is this what we're seeing? The battle of Psalm 83 or Gog and Magog in Ezekiel 38 and 39? I'll say emphatically that it is not. It is not either one of these chapters that are being fulfilled. You see, Gog and Magog, when you go back and study Ezekiel 38 and 39, one of the things that you will find in that is that the countries that are coming against Israel, they are not Arab countries. They're not Arab at all. They're Muslim. Many of them are Muslim. And But what is fascinating about Gog and Magog is that it was a prophecy given over 2,500 years ago, and we have never seen the alignment of those countries that are spoken of there come together until now. And we're seeing the reality of that. Fascinating. I remember when we were over there and uh, a friend of mine had texted me. He goes, you realize that all these countries that are starting to stand up against Israel are the same ones in, in Gog and Magog? And I said that and my wife said, I did not need to hear that. You know, it's one thing if you're 6,000 miles away, but it's another thing when you're sitting on the border, you know. And, and uh, so we kind of laughed about it and I had to say nothing else about it until we left. But you see that. It's interesting, these countries that are coming together. But another thing I noticed is that no country will stand with Israel in that day. Not a single country will come up to its side and stand with it in the midst of that. There will be some nations who protest against it that are not for what is taking place, but none will come to the side of Israel. But I tell you, there will be one who does, and that is the Lord. And God will, and God will reveal himself to those nations as he destroys Gog. He will reveal himself not only to those heathen nations as he calls them, but God also reveal himself to the nation of Israel. And so it cannot be that scenario that's taking place. But then many prophecy preachers will jump on this chapter that we just read from and say that there must take place before the rapture of the church a battle that's going to take place between Jews and Arabs, between Israel and Arabs, and they refer to Psalm 83. Now understand, I've got good friends who preach prophecy conferences three-quarters of the weeks out of the year that preach this, and I do not agree with it. So there's good men. There are good men who hold to these things that I am saying that, that I do not believe can be taking place. I do not believe that this is a future battle that's going to take place. Now understand this. There is no event that's going to take place before the rapture of the church. We are not looking for signs. We are not even looking, and this is going to mess up a lot of you, we're not even looking for seasons. There are no seasons for the rapture of the church to happen. There are no signs. Israel didn't have to become a nation before the rapture of the church. Paul taught and preached in what we call the imminent return of Christ. That means that Christ could come back at any moment. He believed that. And that's what he preached. You see, if we look for signs or seasons or anything of that nature, we're losing sight on what the church is supposed to be focusing on. And that's the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is for us. The tribulation period is not for the church. 
Not at all. It is a time that Jeremiah calls the time of Jacob's trouble. It is a time that God is focusing on the nation of Israel. It is a time he calls in Daniel, in Daniel 9, the 70th week of Daniel. Jesus calls it the tribulation and the great tribulation period. It is not for the church. He said, nowhere is it given for the church. We're going to be taken up to heaven before these events take place. And that's going to be the marriage supper and the judgment seat of Christ is going to be taking place. But on the earth, God will be dealing with the nation of Israel once again. And so don't get those things confused. But here in Psalm 83, some will even say that this was fulfilled when Israel became a nation in 1948. Those five Arab nations that came against Israel and uh, tried to annihilate them in their, in their conception as they were being born as a nation. The only problem is, is there's more than five nations mentioned here. Some will even say that this was fulfilled in the 1967 war that took place as well. But likewise, there are more nations mentioned here than those that took place in that battle in 1967 as well. You see, when you begin to go through and look at this, I want to take you back to the background real quickly. Take your Bible over to 2 Chronicles, because in 2 Chronicles chapter number 20 is where we find the background to Psalm 83. Because going through Psalm 83 and in comparison it, uh, here with 2 Chronicles chapter number 20, through the entire chapter, you see an amazing parallel of what's uh, of what's happening here. Matter of fact, here in in Second Chronicles chapter number twenty, you'll find in verse number one it says it came to pass after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon and with them other beside the Ammonite came unto Jehoshaphat to battle. And there came uh, some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on this side Syria. And behold, they be, they be in Hazan Tamar, which is Ein Gedi. Now, this is actually where we were at when all this began to take place on October the 7th there at Ein Gedi. And so here they are right on the other side of the Dead Sea. They're located in that Negev, in that desert area. That's the area where King uh, Saul was sleeping in that cave when King David came along and cut off the skirt tail of his, of his garment. He would have been right there at Angedi. But here are all these countries coming against the nation of Israel, wanting to annihilate them. Jehoshaphat got word. He called for the elders of Israel to come together. They begin to seek the Lord. They begin to pray. And they begin to go out to meet this army. Notice in verse number 21, and when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord, and that they should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and to say, praise the Lord for his mercy endureth forever. And when they began to sing and to praise the Lord sent ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. Then the children of Israel, when they went out to the inhabitants that were coming against them, they found they were all dead, every one of them. God fought the battle for them. All they did was sing. They just lifted up their voices and began to sing and to praise God. And God smote the enemies of Israel. That is the background of Psalm 83. Now go back to Psalm 83 because here is a song of Psalm of Asaph. He was the 
choir director. He was the leader. He was the, the, the one leading this singing. And this is his prayer as he is coming out. Uh, and, and you'll notice as he begins to come out, you know, these, when we look at the events transpiring here in Psalm 83, there are no indicators in this psalm that it is a future battle to take place. It's not spoken like it is in Gog and Magog where it says, in the latter days. That terminology is not used here in Psalm 83. He's not speaking about a future battle. You see, it is these countries that he mentions here, they have always been the enemies of Israel. From day one all the way to present day today. It is the same areas that have stood against Israel and fought against Israel. And he is praying. He is praying for God to protect his people. It's a plea of the psalmist the protector, to the protector of Israel uh, to deal with Israel's enemies. Now, as you go through this psalm, remember the psalmist would stand, no doubt, on many of the promises that were given in the Word of God, like Psalm 121 in verse number 1, where the Bible says, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will neither slumber. He said, Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. He said, God's not sleeping. God knows exactly what was taking place, just as he knew in that day, just as he knew in the day in which we're living. Zechariah chapter 2 and verse number 8 says this, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, After the glory hath he sent me unto the nations which spoiled you. He said, For he that toucheth you toucheth the apple of his eye. Do you know what happens when countries begin to mess with the nation of Israel? It's like poking God in the eye. He said, he that toucheth you. You say, well, listen, that was the Old Testament. So you're saying the Old Testament is no good? You're saying the Old Testament is not right? You're saying that God was wrong when he made those statements? Oh, no. Oh, no. You see, there is a group, and we'll, we'll deal with them in a moment, but there's a group of people today that follow a doctrine called replacement theology. And do you know what they believe is that the promises that were given in the Old Testament to the Jews because they rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, those promises are null. And they're actually given to the church today. And so we as believers now receive the promises of God. Can I say that is not true? That is a false doctrine. And do you know what happens when one, you get a hold of one false doctrine? It starts breeding and leading into more and more and more. You know why there's so many people getting messed up on the end times? It's because they got a messed up view when it comes to Israel. We are missing it. We're seeing a rise of anti-Semitism, I mean, among Christian evangelicals, among Baptists, like never before. Almost every church, I'm going to say about 90% of the churches that I have been going in in the last two years, do you know what I'm constantly dealing with? That. And all it takes is one person moving in, bringing this false doctrine, trying to spread it, and it is rising. They start attacking the Israeli flag. They start attacking all kind of different things. And I mean, it is unbelievable, their lack of knowledge. And it's just like, it's unbelievable how much I'm having to deal with these things. And they'll say stuff like, oh, we are the spiritual Jews. 
I was in a good church the other day. Lady stood up testifying. She said, and she loves Israel, loves Israel. But she made this statement. She says, when I got saved, I became a Jew. I'm like, no, you didn't. You didn't become a Jew. Well, spiritually, I'm a, no, no, you did not. You did not. And that's what you've got to understand. You see, we've allowed some of these concepts to come in and affect us and is steering us away down a wrong, wrong path. You know, I read this statistic last year, and 44.7% of evangelicals believe in a Palestinian state versus three years ago. The rate of support for the state of Israel among the evangelicals between the ages of 18 and 29 has declined in the last three years from between 69% to 39%. Why? Because there's a lack of teaching and understanding of Israel, its role and place in the Bible. And God help us to get back to it. And so, uh, but notice the psalmist here. He's saying that he that toucheth Israel toucheth the apple of his eye. Now, I want you to notice in our text tonight in Psalm 83, I want you to notice verse number one. We see the plea for God's presence. He says, keep not thou silence, O God. Hold not thy peace and be not still, O God. You see, he is pleading here for God. Lord, please don't care. Lord, we need you. I mean, you know, thank God for leadership. What we're thankful for when we have a leader in, in government that can rule and, and lead our country. We're grateful for those things. And you know, when I'm looking over in Israel, you realize that majority of Israelis are against Netanyahu. He will not serve again. This will, this will end his career. I mean, they're wanting him impeached. I mean, he, he's, he's, he, he, but you know, one thing I'll say about Netanyahu I'm glad he's there right now. Because though he has faults and failures, thank God he's got a backbone that'll stand. And he's not stopping till Hamas is wiped out. They gave opportunity and opportunity through the years. Given, but when that massacre took place on October 7th, they said, that's, a, that's enough. We are not going to continue on this path. And he said, we will not stop until they are annihilated. And they are pursuing, and Hamas, the leader, they don't know what to do because you know what they always do? Every time they shoot rockets over, they'll fire rockets over. Israel will shoot some back, and they'll finally say, okay, peace, let's, let's, let's sit down and talk. And they started doing that. Let's talk. And you know what Israel said? Uh -uh, talking's done. We will not stop. You know, thank God for political leaders that will stand and, and will not give up. But you know what? They fail. They make, they, 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 they make mistakes. They falter. But you know, that's why the psalmist is saying, God, we need your presence. We need you in our midst. But you see, you think about countries that will stand by Israel's side. And that's why I was saying in Ezekiel 38, no country will stand by its side. But you know what? America did. Man, we started bringing our ships in. I'm telling you, we started standing by Israel. And, you know, we made some mistakes the next day when we wanted to give $100 million to Gaza. It's like, well, you just ruined the day before, you know. It's like, man, you did so good that day. And then you messed it up the next. Well, I don't know. Anyway, but you do see countries that are standing with Israel. Egypt shot rockets out coming from Yemen. Uh, Jordan has shot rockets coming from Yemen to Israel. Saudi Arabia has knocked rockets out of the sky that Yemen are shooting towards towards Israel. And so there's countries that are standing with Israel. But you know there's going to come a day when nations will not stand with Israel. And you know in the tribulation period, at the end of the tribulation period, God is going to judge the world on how they treated Israel. 
That's what they call the judgment of the nations in Matthew chapter number 29. All how they have stood and helped Israel during that time of Jacob's trouble. It is a serious thing, friend. I'm telling you, it's a very, very serious thing. But in countries that stand, uh, well, one day will not. But you know what? God will always stand with that nation of Israel. He will not falter nor fail. But, but you know, when you think of the military, Israel has got a phenomenal military. But do you realize they don't even hardly rank in the top 20? They're just a small military. I mean small. Active duty members only was about 165,000 people. They called up while we were there over 350,000 reservists. I've never seen nothing like it. There were cars parking on the side. I mean, just tons of cars parking at little bitty military braces, leaving their cars there as they're being, they're being sent over and they're getting ready to fight. Understand the lack of preparedness that Israel had for this. You know, one of the guys I talked to the other day, he said one of the needs in which they need in the IDF is uniforms. They don't even have uniforms for some of these soldiers. They don't have flag jackets. They don't have a lot of the things that a lot of the military needs. And that's why people are sending donations and trying to get things over there to help them. But you know, out of a small military that it is, the might that it has is absolutely amazing. But do you realize they're just people like you and I? They can fault, they can fail. A matter of fact, when back in, in 2001, there was an 11-day uh, conflict that took place and the Palestinian Islamic Jihad shot 4,000 rockets from Gaza into Israel in an 11-day period. 4,000 rockets. you imagine that? Living next to Gaza with 4,000 rockets coming at you in an 11-day period? October the 7th, they shot 3,500 rockets that day into Israel. 3,500 rockets. It was so many rockets, the Iron Dome, as amazing as it is, could not keep up with it. And many houses were hit. Many buildings were hit. Um, they said that before the war, they estimated Hamas having over 30,000 rockets in Gaza. Now, they've stopped a lot of them. They've uncovered a lot of these sitting in hospitals and schools and all that that they're still uncovering today. Hezbollah in the north has over 250,000 rockets. And not these little homemade stuff that they got down in Gaza. These are long-range, precise rockets. That's why the focus is on the north. It's because of the ability in which they have in attacking Israel. That is a serious, serious matter. But you know, these, their military ability can fail. But you know what? God never will. And that's why the psalmist is pleading for God. Lord, we need your presence. We need your power. You see, the psalmist later said, some trust in chariots. He said, some uh, in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. I'm telling you, it's God that they need. There's a plea for God's presence. There's a plea for God's protection from verses 2 all the way down through verse number 8. And he starts pleading for God to protect Israel because of the cry of the enemy. Look at verse number 2. Look what he says. For lo, thine enemies make a tumult. That they that hate thee have lifted up the head. That word tumult in Hebrew comes from the word hamah. Now, the word hamah literally means to growl. It means to make a noise, uh, to cry loud. It means to lift the voice. I'm telling you, that's exactly what we're seeing among that crowd. Right. 
All they're doing all over the world is making a cry, making a noise. They're stirring up trouble. That's what that crowd has always did to the nation of Israel. And that's what we're seeing take place even today. But it's because of the cry of the enemy, but it's because of the craving of the enemy. Look at verse number four. They have said, come and let us cut them off from being a nation that the name of Israel may be no more in remembrance. You see, their desire is not a two-state solution. It is the annihilation of that country. That's That's what they wanted in verse number four as well. They've said, come, let us cut them off from being a nation that the name of Israel may be no more in remembrance. You see, their desire is not peace. Let me read from you, and of course it's translated into English, but from the Hamas Charter. In the Hamas Charter in Article 7, it states this, The day of judgment will not come until the Muslims fight and kill the Jews. In Article 8, it states this, The Muslim Brotherhood slogan, Allah is its goal, the Prophet is the model, the Quran is its constitution, Jihad, that's war, it's an Islamic war, is its path, and death for the sake of Allah is the loss of, of all its wishes. That's the die what they call a shaheed, as the die a terrorist or Many of them have blew themselves up. That's that phrase. Article 13 states this. There is no negotiated settlement possible. Jihad is the only answer. Article 15 states. The day that the enemies usurp part of Muslim land, jihad becomes the individual duty of every Muslim. You see, their desire is not a two-state solution. It is the ultimate annihilation of this group of people. And you know, it's not just Israel. It's the Jews. It's the Jews. And that's what we are seeing all over the world. And I want to tell you that what we are seeing is driven satanically. You go back to Revelation chapter number 12 when when that beast is kicked out of heaven, you know what it's going to do? It's going to make war with the woman. That woman in Revelation is Israel. And it is going to persecute Israel like never before have been. Matter of fact, Jesus tells them in Matthew 24, it's so bad. He said, when you see the abomination of desolation stand in the holy place, flee. Let him which be in Judea flee into the mountains. He's saying, you better get out of town. Because it'll be a time of persecution like this world has never seen before. And you know what we're seeing? We're seeing a rise of anti-Semitism boldly throughout the world. We're seeing the setting, no doubt of many of those things that are taking place later. You see how these things can unfold. You see, their desire is, first of all, the annihilation of the Jews, and the second is the annihilation of America. That is their desire. You see, what it is is they hate what God loves. It's not that they hate the Jews. It's that they hate God. You say, oh, they're Muslims. They love God. Allah, they love Allah. You see, Allah and Jehovah are not the same gods. They are not the same gods. Oh, no. And you know what? They hate God. They despise Him. They do not want God. And you know what? They hate what God loves. That's why they hate Israel. That's why they hate the Jew. That's why when God said, He that touches you touches the apple of my eye, and Satan does not like God. And so he goes against the things that God loves. And that's why he attacks the church. Why? Because Christ died for the church and gave his life for it. He hates that. And we're seeing a rise of anti-Semitism. What blows me away is how we're seeing it in our churches. You know, 
Take your Bible real quickly over to the book of Galatians. You know, when it comes to replacement theology, this concept that we have become the Jews, you realize out of, out of the, what, 80, about 80 times Israel is mentioned in the New Testament, there's only two verses that they like to pick out that say that it's actually that believers are called Jews. Two verses out of about 80 that they pick and choose on. Why don't they keep them all? And let's keep them all and look in their context. And that's what you got to do. Now, one of those uh, places is found over in the book of Galatians in chapter 6 and verse 16. And i got to go quick through this. Uh, but this is a uh, Galatians 6 and verse number 16. As many as walk according to this rule, peace on, be on them and mercy and upon the Israel of God. They're saying the Israel of God is talking about believers. They say, you are a believer. And the Israel of God, it is speaking about believers. But is it talking about Gentile believers? No, it's not. It is actually talking about Jewish believers. You see, Paul goes through and he sets a difference between Jew and Gentile. We have Jews all the time that says, if, well, if I become a Christian, I'm no longer Jewish. I said, well, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. You were born a Jew, you'll die a Jew. Now, you can either die as a Jew and go to hell, or you can die as a Jew and go to heaven. But you're still a Jew, regardless. You see, if you were born a Gentile, you will die a Gentile, unless the Lord Jesus Christ comes back. You see, he makes a distinction between Jews and Gentiles, and Paul has always associated himself. Matter of fact, in Galatians, back over in chapter number three, they say, well, you know, we are, we are of the seed of Abraham. Galatians chapter three, even verse six, even as Abraham believed God, it was accounted unto him for righteousness. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. Amen. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. So then they which are of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. They say, Okay, so believers, we fall under children of Abraham. Okay, I buy that. That's exactly what the Bible says. We do. Why? Because we follow a principle that Abraham followed. And it was a life of faith. He believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Salvation is by faith. And that's what he's saying. We believe. We're following the same principles of that of Abraham. But Paul continues on through the book of Galatians. And understand, Abraham had two sons. He had Isaac and Ishmael. You see, the seed don't come from Ishmael. It comes through Isaac. And so if you're going to trace your spiritual genealogy back and say, I'm a Jew, then you really need to trace it back to Isaac, not to Abraham. But it's Abraham that we follow that example because it was by faith that we receive it. But anyway, uh, you'll, you'll find again over and over, he's dealing with groups because you got these Judaizers that are rising up and they're telling Gentiles believers that, hey, if you're going to be saved, you got to be circumcised first. That was a sign of the covenant that he made with Abraham. You've got to be circumcised first. Then you can get saved. And you've got to keep the law in order to stay saved. Paul is writing, correcting those false teachings that were rising up. And so he goes through and he's, he's dealing with, with uh, circumcision and uncircumcision. But then he gets into Galatians chapter 3 and verse 21. Look, look, at, look at just the pronouns he uses here. 
Let's skip down to verse 22. But the scripture hath concluded all, Jew and Gentile, under sin, that the promises by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, watch this, we, Paul said, Jews, were kept under the law, shut up under the faith which should afterward be revealed. Wherefore the law was our Jew, schoolmaster, was given unto them, uh, to bring us Jews unto Christ, that we Jews might be justified by faith. But after that faith is come, we Jews are no longer under a schoolmaster. Watch this, for ye Gentiles are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as of you Gentiles, he's speaking of, as have been baptized unto Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye, Gentiles, are all one in Christ. And that's what he's showing. He's showing that, listen, Gentiles can get saved just like a Jew can get saved. When he makes a statement about the Israel of God, he is talking about believing Jews. Matter of fact, look at the verse. Look at the verse. In, back in Galatians, in Galatians chapter number 6 and verse 16. Well, back up to verse 15. He says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision. See, he's saying it don't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, but a new creature, and as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them. He's talking about Gentile believers, on them. And mercy and upon the Israel of God. So he's saying peace be on two different groups of people. Both of these groups are believers. One's a Gentile group, the other's a Jewish group. Look at Romans real fast. Romans real quick. Because the other verse that they love going to is the book of Romans. The book of Romans, and look in Romans chapter 2 and verse number 28. Romans chapter 2 and verse number 28. He says, for he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. As I see right there. A Jew is not one who is physical, it's one who is spiritual. And that's what they take. They'll run from that verse. But you've got to understand what's happening here in the book of Romans. As Paul is writing here to the church of Rome, he's writing in the first chapter, he's kind of given an introduction, laying a foundation all the way up to verse number 15. Verses 16 and 17 is the theme of the book of Romans. He said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He is saying that salvation is for everyone. That's the theme going through this book. Keep that in mind. When you start going on, you're going to find in chapters 1 from verse number 18 all the way to chapter 3 and verse number 30, he is showing how the world is under condemnation. The world is under condemnation. Now from chapter 1 and verse 18 to chapter 2 and verse 16, he focuses on one group of people. That's Gentiles. He's showing how Gentiles are they're under condemnation because they've sinned against God. Gentiles are going, they're going to perish. They're all sinners. That's what he's showing. But you see from chapter 2 and verse number 17, all the way to chapter 3 and verses 20, he deals with another group of people, and that's Jews. And he's showing likewise that all Jews are condemned as well. 
They're no better than the Gentiles. Circumcision is going to profit them nothing. That's what he goes through in showing them. That there's no profit in that of circumcision. So he deals back and forth, back and forth with it. Now look at the conclusion he gives in chapter 3 and and, uh, verse number 21. In verse number 21 he says, uh, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest being witnessed by the law and the prophets. And let me just skim through because he starts going through and, and again, he starts bringing up stuff about the uh, circumcision and uncircumcision. And he goes, where is boasting? Verse 27 then, is it excluded by what law of works? Nay, but the law of faith. Therefore, we can com- conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is not he the... Also of the Gentiles, yes, of the Gentiles also, seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith. He's saying that God will justify the circumcision, the Jew. He said by faith and the uncircumcision, the Gentile, through faith. He said, do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid, yea, we establish the law. You see, he's showing the same difference that he showed in Galatians. You see, being a Jew ain't going to get you to heaven. Being a Jew ain't going to get you closer to God. You see, being a Jew like John Hagee teaches that all Jews are automatically going to heaven. That's what he teaches. Now, he teaches that a Jew can get saved and become a part of the church, but they don't have to. They're automatically going to heaven because they are following under an Abrahamic covenant. This is what they call dual covenant theology. And it is heresy. Jesus told a religious man, Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You see, a Jew has to get saved just like every Gentile. That is the point that Paul is driving home here in Romans. And back where we looked at that verse, he's going through, again, verse 27. He's talking about circumcision and uncircumcision. And he's going, he's not a Jew, which is one outwardly. He's saying it's not good enough being born physically a Jew. Neither is that circumcision. He said, that circumcision ain't going to get you to heaven. He said, neither is that circumcision, which is an outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart. He's saying that a Jew's got to be circumcised in the heart. They got to be born again just like a Gentile is. Because during that chapter, that's the group of people he's focusing on is Jew, 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 how they need to be saved. And so replacement theology is, We are spiritual Israel. When it talks about Israel, that's speaking about the church. It's kind of funny when you get to Romans chapter 10 and verse 1 where Paul says, Brother, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. If Israel's the church, why is he praying for Israel to be saved? You see, it makes no sense. You see, you pick and choose what verses. And you see, this doctrine is creeping into our churches. It's just letting the Bible speak. You know, interpreting the Bible in context, it'll eliminate all this false doctrine if you let it. And so it stimulates one after another. But go back to our text, and I'll, I'll try to go fast now. 
So I had to spend a lot of time. This is like a series I preach, okay? There's a lot of stuff that I'm giving you in one setting because, well, that's all the time we got. But uh, so we're just, we're just giving you a whole bunch of material tonight. But back to Psalm 83, we see the plea for God's protection because the cry of the enemy, because the craving of the enemy, uh, but also because of the confederacy of the enemy. You see, in verse number three, he says this, they have taken crafty counsel against thy people and consulted against thy hidden ones. Look down in verse number five. For they have consulted together with one consent. They are confederate against thee. So he's talking about these nations that are going to be coming up uh, that came up and fought against Israel time and time and time again. He goes to and he starts naming them. Verse number six, the tabernacles of Edom and the Ishmaelites. Now, Edom, of course, comes from the descendants of Esau, Genesis 36, verse number one. But he also lumps in together the Ishmaelites. Now, the Ishmaelites, Edom, southern Jordan area, below the Red Sea, what is modern-day Saudi Arabia. That, is, that concludes that area there. You know, it's funny, the Saudi Arabians, you know what they will tell you? They are direct descendants of Muhammad. They believe they are direct descendants And so uh, they trace that genealogy from Muhammad, and then they trace it all the way back to Ishmael. They say they're direct descendants from Ishmael. It's funny that he names that region, and he calls them uh, Edom and the Ishmaelites. And so uh, we see those groups mentioned there. Now, understand the inhabitants of Edom, Esau's descendants were defeated and driven out, destroyed and defeated, and driven out in 312 B.C. by the Nabatians. You you see, like Petra, they are the ones who built Petra. They are the ones who built that spice trade route that goes through very wealthy group of people. So they they defeated the uh, descendants of Esau. But then he names some more. He talks about Moab and the Hagarines. Now, uh, Moab and the Hagarines, of course, Hagar is the descendants there. Now, these would have been uh, established down in the southern part of Jordan uh, area as well. That's uh, around that same region. He mentions some other areas, Gibal. Now, a lot of people say that Gibal is up in modern or northern Lebanon. I don't think it is because the next word, Ammon. Uh, He kind of yokes Gibal and Ammon and Amalek all together. Now, Ammon is in northern Jordan today. That would be the northern area of Jordan. Then he mentions Amalek. Now, of course, you remember the story of Amalek in the Bible, uh, one of Esau's grandsons we read about in Genesis chapter 36. These are the people that would make up that what they call Transjordan, that whole uh, area of Jordan, that northern part of Jordan area. Then he mentions as well the Philistines and Tyre. Of course, the Philistines would have controlled that, that coastal route. The way of the, remember the, when they come out of Egypt, God said, don't go the way of the Philistines. They controlled many of the cities along the coastal route. Gaza was the actual head of the Philistines. It was their, their, their main center of the Philistines was there in Gaza. So he mentions that. Then he mentions Tyre. Tyre is up the coast into modern day Lebanon. And so he's naming all these areas that are that come against and fight against the children of Israel. He names Asher. That was northern Iraq is where they place that. Then he mentions the children of Lot. Now the children of Lot, we know that uh, the Ammonites and the Moabites came from these inhabitants. So get in your mind this little bitty country of Israel that's the size of the state of New Jersey. 
That's how big it is. The size of the state of New Jersey are surrounded by all these countries. And from that time, the psalmist writ to the time in which we're living are countries that are in constant, have been in constant fight with Israel. And yet it don't change. History just keeps repeating itself over and over. You think they'd learned from after God defeating them one time before. But no, man, those areas keep on and keep on coming. You see, the key is not to focus on the genealogy, but on the geography. You see, many of those inhabitants were done away with as a people. Many of them were gone as a people. But it's those areas that have constantly been a snare to that little country of Israel. And it still is today. So focus on the geography and not the genealogy. Now, going back in Psalm 83 in verse 9 down through verse number 15, he gives the plea for God's power. First of all, over, their arm, over, over the armies. You see, look in verse number 9. Do unto them as unto the Midianites, as to Sisera, as to Jabin at the book of Kishon, which perished at Eindor. They became as dung for the earth. And then he gives a plea over their leaders. He said, make their nobles like Oreb and like Zeb, yea, all their princes as Zeba and Zalmunna. Now, you're familiar with the story when Gideon would have gathered there in the valley of Megiddo, and there his army would have gathered, and it was way too many. And some of those men began to lap that water up like a dog, and God told Gideon, he says, the men that lap that water up like a dog, that's the ones you're going to get. And there was only 300 of them. Now, right across the valley... I mean, not far, not far. Just right across the valley, there was a mountain on the other side, and the Midianites had gathered over on that other side, over 135,000 of them. And you know what Gideon and them did? Boy, they went up, you, you, they broke their lanterns, they started yelling, uh, you know, uh, the sword of the Lord and Gideon, and man, they slaughtered that army. That army started fleeing, and you know what? They started chasing down their generals, and they killed their generals. Their generals were defeated. And that's who he's mentioning here, Oreb and Zeb. They were some of the Midianite commanders. Zeb and Zalmunna, they were like the Midianite princes. And they, they, they both, all of them died. All of them perished. And he's saying, God, when you did that then, do that to our enemies now. Do that same very thing to them. Now, you remember Abraham. He had a second wife, Keturah. And from one of her children came the Midianites. And what's fascinating is when Gideon comes back after they've defeated them, uh, you know, the, the children of Israel saying, we want you to rule over us. And he goes, he says, listen, you, you, God's going to rule over you. He goes, I tell you what, he said, take all the earrings that you've gotten from the Midianites and, and bring them as a gift. And so they're bringing all those earrings. And the Bible says, because they had earrings, golden earrings, because they were Ishmaelites. The Midianites and the Ishmaelites became a people. Somewhere along the line, the Ishmaelites took over and conquered the Midianites. And that's what they're called, both Midianites and Ishmaelites. And so, anyway, you see those groups of people. But notice, notice their desire. I want you to notice their desire. Because in verse number 12, look what he said. Who said, let us take to ourselves the houses of God in possession. You see, what did they want? They wanted the land of Israel. Matter of fact, that's what they said back in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse number 7 that we read earlier. They were wanting that land. They wanted to destroy that people and they wanted that land. But you see from verses 13 down through verse number 15, we see their destruction. And he gives three examples of God's judgment. Look, real quickly. He says, oh my God, make them like a wheel 
He gives an example of a wheel. Then he gives an example of a wind as the stubble before the wind. But then thirdly, he gives an example of the wood. He said, as the fire burneth a wood, as the flame setteth the mountains on fire. Three examples, one of, of a wheel, one of wind, and one of wood. What's he trying to show? Good point. Verse 15, he tells us why he's doing this. So persecute them with thy tempest and make them afraid with thy storm. You see, the reason that he is saying this is to put the fear of Jehovah in them. You see, today they got the fear of Allah. But you know what he's praying? That they would get the fear of God, the true God of Israel in them. And I'm telling you, it's been astonishing just hearing some of the things that are taking place even in Israel today that's happening in the midst. I read one account of one soldier. He said, when they gave us our weapons, he said, you've got to understand as a reservist, these weapons, they've been sitting in storage. He said, most of the time they don't fire. You've got to go through. You've got to sight them in. You've got to fix parts. He said, my, he said, when I fired my first shot, he said, I was praying, God, please let this thing work. He said, I didn't miss a fire. I didn't miss a shot. For three days, I think it was three days he said he fought. He said, as soon as I was done and came back in to, to, to sleep, to rest, he said, that gun wouldn't fire another shell. He said, they had to rebuild the entire rifle. He said, you wouldn't believe how many other soldiers has got the same testimony. I'm telling you, listen, why? Because there's a God in Israel. And he neither slumbers nor sleep. He's watching over his people. He's protecting his people. And he's saying, God put the fear of God in these people. Do you know what these people need? They need a fear of God in them. We see the plea for God's plan. Look at verses 16 down through verse 18. Watch this. We see, notice the disgrace that he prays for. He said, fill their faces with shame. Look at verse 17. He says, let them be confounded and troubled forever. You know, he's praying that they would be a disgrace. And boy, we're seeing that among men. you got to understand, these group of people, listen, they are barbaric. The things that you've heard that has happened over there, it's probably even worse than what you have heard. I've seen videos that you cannot even find on the internet anymore that absolutely turned my stomach. Never seen anything as vile and wicked as some of the things that took place. I am telling you, it is, it is pure evil. And he's saying, make them a disgrace. But then he's praying, notice their destruction in, in, in verse number 17. Look, he said, let them be confounded and troubled forever. Yea, let them be put to shame and perish. He's saying, God, kill them. He's saying, God, kill them. That's what he's praying. He's praying for their annihilation. But now hold it before you jump on that too much. Because I want you to notice their deliverance. Look in verse number 16. He said, fill their faces with shame. Watch this next word. In Hebrew, kashay, that. That they my seek thy name he's saying god make them a disgrace why so that they'll seek you you see he's wanting god to have mercy on them too he's wanting them to seek god why because they can experience the mercies of god but he's saying lord if they don't then kill them you know what our prayer for the people there in gaza should be what our prayer for hamas should be is that they'd come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. That should be our prayer for the people there. That should be our prayers that they would come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because that's God's will, is that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Look at verse 18 as well. 
that men may know that thou whose name alone is Jehovah art the most high over all the earth. You see, Jesus went to the cross for everybody. And don't come out of this thing with this this phobia of uh, looking at Muslims through the eyes that they're all terrorists. Come through it looking at it through the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ. Of how He tasted death for every man. And would have all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. I'm telling you, if God could take a man who persecuted the church like the Apostle Paul did and change his life, he can do that to a leader of Hamas. And there is no telling what that could change. You see, he wants all men to be saved. And that's how we need to pray. And that's how we need to pursue in getting the gospel. The Bible tells us, again, we need to pray for the salvation of Israel. Romans 10.1. We need to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. But we need to take the gospel to them. Because that's what Paul said. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God. We send those water bottles over there. Listen, we're going to be putting, y'all are going to be labeling. You're going to be helping putting those labels on. And you know what? You're going to have a part in getting the gospel to over 750 soldiers. And there is no telling. There is no telling what the gospel could do by doing that. And that is a responsibility that we have. But you see, I remember a couple of weeks, we had just landed from Israel. I'd, I was in a meeting um, probably about four or five days after we had landed. And I remember we were singing a song. I was in a, a, a missions camp meeting. And it was in the morning service. We were singing a song, I Have Found the Way. And that morning, before I went to church, I was watching some of the news over in Israel, reading some of the news, and, and I was watching how Israel was dropping those flyers. They were dropping those flyers, warning the people in northern Gaza to flee to the south. And I began to think about that song as we were singing it and thought about this event that was happening that day at that moment that was, I was sitting in church, and I thought, you know, there were many of those people that started fleeing. There were some people that ignored the warning altogether. They heard the plea. They saw the notes that they were dropping saying, flee, we're coming, judgment is coming. And they heard the plea and yet they sat still and ignored it. And then others heard it and they said, we've got to go. And they grabbed their children. They, they took everything that they could carry and they started fleeing down to the south. But you know what? Hamas began to stop them. They begin to, uh, one, I watched one Hamas soldier held over a hundred captive, Palestinians captive because, captive because that was his shield. They were slaughtering many of them that were trying to flee to the border. There were many that were being hindered to get to the border. But then there were some that made it. They got to the border. They were able to get out of danger and harm. And you know, I thought about the reality of that among our churches. There are those that have heard the gospel. They've heard the Word of God, and you know what they do? They just ignore it. They just ignore it. And you know what's going to happen? Judgment is going to come. Judgment will fall. There are many bodies in northern Gaza from a casualty of war because they didn't flee. They didn't flee. And they don't know how long it will take to dig out that northern area. It is just absolutely disaster. But they had an opportunity and they ignored it. You might be sitting here tonight you know you've never been born again and you've just put it off, put it off, and put it off. Can I tell you, judgment will come. 
whether you're ready or not. And the most important thing in your life is to run to the cross. Flee, flee, get to the side. But you know what I thought about second, that second group that were hindered along the way? How many people there are out there that want to know the Lord and they don't know how to? And yet there are people who are professing Christians that are standing in the way. They'll sit around, listen to them dirty jokes. They'll participate in it. They'll participate in that ungodly lifestyle. And you know what they're doing? They are keeping people from coming to faith in Christ. Boy, we ought to stop and examine our relationship with the Lord. Lord, is my life helping or hurting people? Boy, I'd hate to be a hindrance from somebody coming to faith in the Lord. But others found the way. You found the way tonight? I'm glad I found the way. Father, we love you. Lord, we are so grateful for the privilege we have to be able to serve you. Lord, help our lives to never be a hindrance, to never stop anybody. Lord, I think about the Muslims that are out there that we come in contact with all the time. And how do we look at them? Do we look at them with this, with this look in our eyes that they're a terrorist, that they are this evil, ungodly people? Or do we look at them how the Lord looked at them, how he tasted death for them? He gave his life that he would have them to be saved. God, I pray that you would help us to reach Muslims with the gospel. Help us to reach Jewish people with the gospel.